Hope y'all are doing well. We are in our last series of the journey, uh, the Sea of Glass, <clears throat> and we have um, looked at the text, and we are going to make this particular text as Christmassy as possible, uh, as we've been studying through and reading through the book uh, of John. We are um, in this last series called the Sea of Glass, and so I'll explain to you how it relates to Christmas, uh, and then we'll pray. So, um, we are reading through the Bible together, and as we're reading through the Bible together right now, uh, as we're reading John, um, Jack and I were, were talking about uh, the end of John, which is really uh, where we're going to pick up is in John chapter 14, the last 10 hours of Jesus' life. Uh, 12 hours of Jesus' life into his death, burial, and resurrection. And I'm thinking, you know, uh, that's not really Christmassy. <laughs> um, it's kind of the, the opposite. That's the Easter message, not the, uh, not the Christmas message. And so as we're looking at John, we, we notice that there's this, this idea over and over, this phrase that he was sent, Jesus was sent, Jesus was sent. And that's in the end of the book of John. Well, for sure... The fact that Jesus was sent is a Christmas idea. Um, so Jesus' birth or his, his being sent um, is different than ours. So whenever we were born, God created us and put us in our mother's womb and then we were born. But when Jesus was born, he was actually already alive and he was sent by the Father to come and become a man, become a baby. So as we're looking at these last, few, these last few chapters in John, the last seven chapters over the next, um, I don't know, four or so sermons, what we're going to do is look, as John says, the fact that Jesus was sent, we're going to see over these next four sermons or so, four different, five different reasons why Jesus was sent, which is very Christmassy, because Jesus was sent to us by God uh, and came in the form of a baby. So, um, as you saw in the video, uh, this particular week, we're going to be talking about, starting at John chapter 14, um, the first reason why Jesus was sent. Jesus was sent so we could receive the Holy Spirit. And so today's text is in John chapter 14. If you have a Bible, you can open up to John 14. If you don't have one, just take that one on the floor there at your feet. Uh, open it up to the New Testament. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. Uh, we'll be at John chapter 14, verse 15. And we'll be uh, looking at today about... Uh, why Jesus was sent. He was sent to us as a baby and eventually went, became, grew and became a man. And in his ministry, towards the end, he's having this conversation with his disciples in the upper room. And uh, he was telling them about the coming Holy Spirit. He's promising them the Holy Spirit that they would receive as well as us. So that's what we're going to be looking at today is the, uh, the, the sending of the Holy Spirit, the promised sending of the Holy Spirit to us. So let's pray and we'll, we'll jump in in John chapter 14. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you that you have given it to us, and because of that, um, you've given us also your Holy Spirit, and you, you promised your disciples in this particular text, you promised your disciples that they would be able to remember all things, they would bring, that you would bring to their remembrance everything that, that you had said, and that recollection was given to them as a gift so that they could write the scriptures, um, but also it's, it's a promise to us as well because we have the Holy Spirit in us. And so God, I pray that as we look at this text on the Holy Spirit, that we would 
see his absolute need in our own lives. And that we would desire to be filled with the Spirit daily. And that we would live a life that, that's transformed by him daily. Showing that we, <laughs> we cannot live this life without you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we're looking at this text here, um, Jesus is going to, as I said, he's in the last 10 to 12 hours of his life. He's with his disciples, and in this particular text, he's explaining to them that he has to go away. Now, I know this is Christmas, and we're talking about the fact that, we're supposed to be talking about the fact that he's just come, and we will, over this next little bit, uh, talk about that. But in this particular text here, he's talking about, I've been here, it's good that I've, that I've been here, I've done my ministry, however, now... I have to go, and as I go, uh, it's good that I go because I'm going to send someone else. Uh, and so that's what we're looking at today, and this promise that he's going to be making them is that he's going to be sending them the Holy Spirit. You can see this in John chapter 14, start at verse 15. It says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I, ask, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. And so uh, the another there is, is key because... Um, in the Greek construction, the another is trying to help you see that the another is not a second class person. It's not somebody that's not quite as good. The another is just as uh, filled with deity or just as God uh, given as, as Jesus. So the, the another is on the exact same level as Jesus. So as, as much deity as Jesus has, which is full deity, the another that's coming is also going to be just, as, just like him. So he's sending him another helper. Now, helper in your, in your ESV is likely capitalized. And you can see, if you look over at verse 26, uh, there's, we know that this is the Holy Spirit because he says, I'll send you another helper. And you can see in verse 26, but the helper, comma, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send. So we know that he's talking about the Holy Spirit. We're going we're gonna to Look at the uh, definition there of this, this helper paraclete in the Greek uh, in a little bit. But we want you to see, I want you to see one other thing here. Because this promise that he's given to us, to the Holy Spirit, is only for believers. If you look, it says, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth in the world. Here it is. So in verse 17, there's going to be this kind of uh, dichotomy drawn for us between the believers and the world. The benefits that the believer has for the Holy Spirit versus the world. And you can see it all in verse 17 there. In verse 17 it says, Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. So the world, in regard to the Spirit, cannot receive the Spirit. Unless, unless you've been born again, unless you've been regenerated, then you will not be able to receive the Spirit. Not only that, it does not see the Spirit. So this see is more uh, perceive he doesn't, the world does not perceive the Spirit, nor does it know the Spirit. So those that are outside of Christ right now, they, do not, they cannot receive the Spirit, they do not perceive Him, nor do they know Him. But for those that are believers, you can see in verse 17, it says this, You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. So those that are believers, those that have received the Holy Spirit, this is what's true of them. The disciples, and even us, as believers, know the Holy Spirit, we have the, dwelling, the Holy Spirit dwelling with us, and we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. So there's a huge difference between those that are believers and that aren't believers, namely that they've been given the Holy Spirit, they've been able to see Him, know Him, they have Him dwelling in Him, and they've received Him. 
And that's far different than the world. And so in verse 15, in this last uh, couple hours of Jesus' life, in this conversation, he, he starts the conversation with the fact that they need the Holy Spirit. But notice verse 15. Notice verse 15. And that's going to help us get, get started. Um, let me, let me re- tell you a couple other things about, about the Holy Spirit. This is just uh, from Grudem and, and John Owen. Uh, the work of the, this is from Grudem. He says, The work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world and especially in the church. So as we're going into a sermon about the Holy Spirit, we need to see His absolute, absolute need in our own lives. Uh, without the Holy Spirit's work in our own lives and in the church, we're not accomplishing any of the tasks that the Lord would have us accomplish. So we have to have the Holy Spirit present in our life. Um, the Holy Spirit is, is, is one of His primary activities is to cleanse us from sin, to sanctify us, to make us more holy in all of our actual conduct in life. John Owen says, though it was a great privilege to have known Christ when He lived here on earth, when He says, I'm going to send you another helper, though it was a great privilege to have known Christ when He lived here on earth, yet it was going to be much greater to know Him revealed to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So this wasn't at all like a second-hand deal. Well, I got to leave, but I'm going to, you know, I got a substitute. I got plan B coming in. He's got the Holy Spirit, who it just is also God, and it's actually even going to be greater because he's going to have the Spirit of Christ, the disciples, and, and even us will have the Spirit of Christ, not with them, but now in them. So this is, this is even better. That's why Jesus says, it's better that I go so that you can have the Holy Spirit. But here, notice this. We know that in verse 16, he says, I'm going to send you another helper. But look at verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So right after he tells them, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So we already know there's an absolute need for us to keep his commandments. And as soon as we hear that, we're like, how am I supposed to do that? I'm really bad at commandment keeping. Next sentence, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. To be with you forever. So five reasons or reasons why the Holy Spirit was given to us. The first one we can see right there in the very beginning. Number one, we need help keeping God's commandments. And I I use the word help. I probably should have capitalized it because I'm, I'm talking about the fact that we're talking about the Holy Spirit. It's not that you've got this and you just need somebody to come alongside you and help you in your rough spots, nudge you along down the road whenever you're, you know, whenever you, maybe you're, you're confused. This is not what we're talking about. We're talking about a complete inability to keep the, the commandments of God unless the Holy Spirit comes and helps you. So, so don't think that you're you're already going to be fine. You just need a little nudge. You just need a little help. And if you just have a little help every once in a while, that's not the kind of help we're talking about. We're talking about you are absolutely incapable of keeping the commandments of God. And so you need the Holy Spirit, the helper, to come and completely enable you and to be with you forever to cause you to be able to keep the commandments of God. So we have another helper, or the paraclete. Another is one like myself um, is coming. And he's called, this paraclete literally means called to the side in order to help. So this is, this is not you 
having a 99% ability to keep the commandments of God and the Holy Spirit just gets you over that last little 1% hump. This is you having a 0% ability to keep the commandments of God. And the one who's been called to side in order to help, he is the one that he's going to do this. This, this, this paraclete, this uh, helper has a lot of different ways it can be translated. I was reading commentators and they were all over the place on how many different ways it can be understood. But l- let me give you some. Uh, the, the helper can be translated as counselor, as in think legal, think legal. Counselor, like attorney, advocate, uh, a teacher, a guide. It can be understood as literally a legal friend. Like, so somebody you actually like that's a lawyer. Um, a representative it th- is in the context of a trial. It's the Holy Spirit taking up the role of the defensive attorney for you and helping you or bringing you along, as it were, uh, in being able to keep the commandments of God. So why do we need help keeping in the commandments of God? Why is it that we're so absolutely dependent upon the Holy Spirit to come and do this? Genesis 3 um, has, has caused us uh, to struggle now completely with being able to com- keep the commandments of God. Prior to Genesis 3, we... We were able to keep the commandments of God perfectly. But when the fall happened and Adam and Eve fell, and because we're all in the line of them, our first thoughts are not to give Jesus glory. Now, for those that are in Christ, we certainly have better ability, but we still have, this is because the Spirit of God is in us. Um, Romans 7, this is, this is the world we live in now. In Christ, it certainly changes. Uh, when we become believers, we're able to. Keep the commandments of God, but there is a struggle. And here's the struggle. I'm going to read Paul as he outlines the struggle that we all feel in keeping the commandments of God. Paul says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not know what I want. This is Romans 7, by the way. But I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Let's, let's read that one more time and let you see and let you hear and understand exactly why you need the Holy Spirit to help you keep God's commandments. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. And I would even add... The desire that you might have now that you're in Christ to do what is right was given to you by God. So you have the desire given to you by God so he gets all the glory, but the inability to carry it out. So you have to have the helper, the paraclete to come beside you and walk beside you and help you in order to keep the commandments of God. For those that that think keeping the commandments of God now that we're a believer is not a big deal anymore, you're missing the whole point. We are absolutely still needing to keep the commandments of God in order to live lives that give him glory. And Paul says this, for I, do not, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, <clears throat> if I do what I do not wa- want, it is no longer I who's, who's doing it, but sin that's dwelling within me. Why do we do this? It's because we are still, until we get to heaven, going to continually struggle with the the indwelling sin within us. But our desire is that we would give God glory. Our desire is that we would keep his commandments and not sin. 
And so as long as we're fighting, as long as we're desiring those who are in Christ to live for Christ completely, we need Jesus to send us another helper. In his mercy, he's going to send one like himself and give us the helper so that we can keep his commandments. What are his commandments? What are his commandments? They're sprinkled all throughout the New Testament, but if you even want to just have a, a big picture of one, you can move one book over, or one chapter over previously, and you can see in verse 34 of chapter 13, Jesus says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all peoples will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So that's a new commandment, although there are many, many commandments given to us. But just to start with, an example of one, we see right there in you know, one chapter over, that we are told that we are to love one another as Christ has loved us, as Christ has loved us. So, what does that look like then? What does that look like? If we're told that we know that we need help keeping God's commandments, we're told that we, at least one of them is that we have love for one another just as he's loved us. What does what does verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. What does this look like? One, one commentator says this. Um, he he translates this kind of longer verse in this particular way. He says, if with love that is both intelligent and purposeful. So the idea of love that we're supposed to have, if we really love God, we'll keep his commandments. He said this love that you have is supposed to be both intelligent and purposeful. It's informed and it's it's." Living out this love for reason. It's not for no reason. If you love me with a love that is both intelligent and purposeful, you will accept, obey, and stand guard. That's the idea of keep. You will accept, obey, and stand guard over the rules or commandments that I've laid down. So keeping them means that we accept them. We accept them to be true. We don't say we're going to pick and choose some. We say all of them, yes, we want to accept not only so, we're going to obey them, we're, we're going to actually do what you told us to do, and we're going to stand guard over the, these commandments. We're going to continually strive to do that over the rules that you have laid down and the regulation. Uh, and then it says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And these commandments are laid down for us, and here's what he said, that you have laid down these commandments for the regulation of our inner attitudes and our outer conduct. So the commandments are not given to you just to modify your outward behavior. It's not that he wants you to just, you know, really bad people do these things, and so what I want you to do is just not do those things so you don't look like them. Commandments aren't given to you just so you won't look like unbelievers. That's the outward part, but there's more. Commandments are given to all of us so that our inner attitude will be bent towards love for Christ. And so here we see if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So the first, the first thing, the first reason why the Holy Spirit was sent to us is because we absolutely need help in keeping God's commands. And when I say help, I don't mean you've got this, you just need a small percentage. I mean you absolutely have no chance whatsoever to do this. And you are absolutely dependent upon God to send you another helper in order to keep his commands. And hopefully you want to keep his commands. But why do you want to keep his commands? Why do you want to keep his commands? 
Well, he says it right there in verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. As a matter of fact, he doesn't just say it in verse 15. He says it four times in our text today. 15, 21, 23, and then in the reverse way in 24. I want you to see all four of those. 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands. 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved. Notice what happens. Whenever you keep his commands and you show that you love the Father by keeping his, in Christ by loving his commands, then the Father gives love to you. Watch this. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, he's already shown that he loves us by giving us Christ. And this is even more love. Verse 23, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. That's the same thing as commands. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and, look at this, make our home with him. Verse 24 is the exact same idea, but just said in the reverse manner. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So here we have that text about saying that Jesus was sent by the Father. And so... As we're looking at the fact that Jesus was sent, we're looking at the big picture of this entire text from 15 to 31. And the big picture of it is that he was sent so that we, we can receive the Holy Spirit. But we're, we're nudging up into our second reason here of why, why the Holy Spirit was sent. So we, we see in verse 15, 21, and 23, and 24 that keeping commandments is done for the purpose of loving God. So another truth is, our ability to love God isn't, is, it's not easily attainable. We need help with that. So let's put up the second one. Here's the second one. The first one is that because we need help keeping commandments. The second reason the Holy Spirit was sent is this. Jesus promised to send us the Holy Spirit to help us enhance our capacity to love God. So the Holy Spirit first was sent to us because we need help keeping commandments. Second reason, the Holy Spirit was sent to help you love God better. To enhance your capacity to love God better. He's, he's telling us that we need help being able to do this. We're not keeping the commandments just to be good law keepers. We're keeping the commandments because we're demonstrating to God that we love him. John Piper wants to point out something really, really key here. He says this, the first thing to notice is that loving Jesus is not the same as keeping his commandments. It precedes and gives rise to keeping the commandments. Keeping his word is the result of loving him. Not the same as loving him. So loving God isn't keeping his commandments. Instead, we keep his commandments because there's already within us a deep desire to love him. So I want to keep the commandments because I already love God. So because I love God, now I want to keep his commandments. And my heart is so fickle that I don't love God the way I should. And so I need the Holy Spirit to come Enhance, help me enhance my love for him. And as that's enhanced, as I'm growing in my capacity to love God, 
now I want to keep his commandments. I want to talk a little bit about this love for God because it's not the same as his love for us. It's different. Our love for God is different than his love for us. Um, So I'm peeping over the the shoulders of John Piper right here, uh, but I think it's quite helpful. So his love for us is, is different. When he looks upon us because we're sinful, because we're fallen, because we uh, don't easily want to love him back, the, the love that he gives to us is grace-filled. It has to be gracious. He's looking past our imperfections, looking past our fickle hearts, looking past our desire not to want to love him back, and loves us in spite of all those things. That's not the same kind of love we give to God. Our love that we give to God is not, well, you're fickle sometimes, sometimes you sin, sometimes it, you, you're fi- you don't want to love me back, so in spite of all that, I'm going to choose to love you. It's different. Our love for God is not based on those things. We're not loving God in spite of himself. Instead, he never is fickle. He never sins against us. It's always perfect. So our love for him is based on absolute perfection. It's based on absolute beauty. It's based on the fact that he's always good. So the love that we give for him isn't a pity-filled love. It's not a gracious, merciful love that we give to him. Instead, it's all on, I can't believe you're so wonderful. You're absolute worthy. You're absolute valuable. You're absolutely satisfying. Everything about you is unbelievably always satisfying. And so the reason why I want to love you is because you're of all those things. But the reason why you love me is not because I'm those things, but it's in spite I'm not those things. So when we see here, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We shouldn't read that, or verse 21 or verse 23, we shouldn't read that then as an arduous task. Well, he's so hard to love. He's such a demander. It's not hard to love at all. He's perfect. He has loved you first despite of all your perfections. He has loved me first despite of all my inadequacies. And the love that I give to him is not a a difficult thing to give back because there's nothing unlovely about him. He's perfectly lovely. Maybe I can try to give an illustration. It's so difficult to try to give an illustration um, but <laughs> having children is, is the best possible way, I think, if you've had children, to explain this. Um, my wife and I, we, we kid when we say this. We don't mean this. But the reason why we keep having babies is because when they're young, they're much easier to love. <laughs> they don't talk back. They don't give us lip. They, they lay there with sweet perfection. They poop, you know, that stuff. We don't get sleep. But the, they lay there, and when they can't talk, and they smile at you, they're so easy to love. It's as they get older, and you tell them to clean their room, and they say no, and they stomp their feet up the stairs or whatever, that they become not more difficult to love, but more difficult to love, if you know what I mean. This is a... Terrible illustration to try to explain what I'm saying. But think of it this way. The love you have for that, that perfectly be- formed baby 
who doesn't say anything back. That's the kind of love that we give to Christ, but a billion times more because Jesus has never sinned against us versus the kind of love he gives to us, which is the kind of love you give to your older children, that in spite of their imperfections and talking back, you still love them anyway. That's, that's kind of the love that he gives back to us. It's, it's, a, it's a bad illustration. It breaks down all over the place. But I think you can kind of understand the general path that I'm going down. And I should end it by saying I love all my kids equally. I don't love Tristan more than the rest. Um, we love them all equally. But you understand what I'm saying. So when we say Jesus has promised to send us the Holy Spirit to enhance our capacity to love God, we need to understand that this is our own fault, not God's. It's not God's fault that he's difficult for us to love by keeping commandments. It's our own. Because he is absolutely perfect, um, perfection-filled. And I just want to underline something for you. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, notice this, to be with you forever. This is a permanent state of affairs now. There was the old covenant, there's the new covenant, and that's it. There's not another third covenant coming. This is the permanent state of affairs now, the new covenant. The Holy Spirit in you forever. Amazing. God in us. So there's two reasons right there why the Holy Spirit has been given to us. Because we absolutely need help keeping the, God, the commands of God. And the second one is because he comes and enhances our love. There's, there's other reasons why the Holy Spirit is given to us in this text. You can see the next one there uh, in verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth. So we have this Holy Spirit being described as truth. And so since he's being described as truth, uh, we're going to have to reach over to John chapter 16 because there is some talk about the Holy Spirit and put all this together for our third reason. But let's read verse 17 again. Even the spirit of truth whom the world uh, cannot receive because it, sees, it does not, neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells in you and will be in you. And so we have him here in verse 17 being described as the spirit of truth. So if we, we move over to chapter 16... Uh, there's another little text here about the work of the Holy Spirit. You can see that it, started, it starts in verse uh, 4b, and it goes down to verse 15. But I'm just going to reach into verse 13 for our next reasons. If you look at verse 13, we've already had him being described as truth. And it says, when the spirit of truth comes. And so we have the same phrase in verse 16, 13 that's being used in 14, 17, the spirit of truth. And so in verse 16, 13, as he's calling him the spirit of truth again in 16, 13, he's actually going to say what the Holy Spirit's coming for. So if you look at verse 16, 13, it says, when the spirit of truth comes, here it is, he will guide you into all truth. For he does not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and declare to you the things that are to come. So the third reason the Holy Spirit sent to us the Holy Spirit's described as Jesus, as, as truth. And so he's sent to us to guide us into all truth. Guide us into all truth. And so since he's called the Spirit of truth, he can be trusted. The Holy Spirit can be trusted to guide you into truth. There are people that aren't difficult, they're, they're difficult to trust. Can I trust this person when they're going to, they say they're going to guide me into something? Can, can I trust them? If, if you come to me and I, 
you ask me for computer help. And I say, I'm going to give you some computer help. I am not a trustworthy guide into computer help. You should not ask me. I have no idea after about restart. And that's it. As I can tell you, try restarting it first. But other than that, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty incapable and not trustworthy. And sometimes we, we transfer that kind of thought in, on, on other th- people and, and God. Can I trust him for this? What he's going to say, this guide that he's promising to me, can I trust him as a trustworthy God? He's known as the spirit of truth. That means he is a trustworthy God. And he tells us here in verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. All the truth. He's not only trustworthy, but he guides us into all the truth. He communicates truth. Calvin says that he's the teacher of truth. He's the teacher of truth. And remember, this is just for believers. That's the point of verse 17 is trying to help you see. We as believers have a unique capacity, unlike unbelievers, to be able to be guided into truth. It doesn't mean they, they are being always guided into complete falsehood, but it does mean that we have a unique ability to be guided into truth. And so that's why. That's why they don't see truth like we see truth. He guides us into the realm of truth and he only declares us, to us what he hears. What does the Holy Spirit hear? Where does the things that he hear, hears come from? From whom? Obviously we're talking about from the Father and Son. And so the things that the Holy Spirit hears, that he's guiding you into, they're coming from the Father and the Son, who are God. Which means everything he's saying is absolute truth. And everything he's declaring to us is embodied in Christ. It's embodied in Jesus um, and his redemption. So what does this mean then? Look, how does this practically play itself out? L- let me ask you this. Um, how much more would you read and study the Bible every day if you could pick your absolute favorite theologian to come sit beside you and study the word with you every day? If you could pick Piper or Calvin or Luther or whoever your favorite theologian is. I'm just throwing out names. If they would say, okay, I am literally going to, every time you open your Bible, sit beside you and read with you. And if you have a question, you can look over at me and you can ask me and I'm going to always answer and I'm going to give you the right answer. How much more, if that were possible, would you read the Bible? I think that probably the answer would be a lot. I think. So let me point out something to you. The promise is not that. The promise is better than that because the promise is not that you have your favorite theologian to help you understand the Bible and guide you through it. The promise is that you have God to come guide you and teach you through the Bible. That's better than me, infinitely. (laughs) It's better than Jack, just a little bit less infinitely. He's a bright guy. It's better than John Calvin. It's better than John Piper. It's better than any of the famous Johns right? John the Baptist or John the Disciple or whoever John you want to pick. There's a lot of them in church history. But my point is this. We have the promise of God to walk us through the Bible and teach us all truth every day. So I'll just, I'll just ask this one question. Why don't, I'll put myself into it, first person plural, why don't we tap into that more often? Why don't we? This is an amazing promise. 
the Holy Spirit is going to guide us into all truth. And he's an absolute 100% trustworthy guide. What are we doing? What are we doing? So the first reason he was sent is so that we can keep the commands of God. The second reason he was sent is so that we can love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength with a greater capacity. The third reason is because he was sent is because God knows we need help seeing and understanding the scriptures. And he doesn't give us our favorite theologian. Praise God. He gives us God himself to guide us into all truth. And we have unfettered access to that. Unfettered access to God himself to lead you into truth all the time. At verse 18 through 24, there's a bit of a transition here. This is where Jesus um, starts talking to the disciples. He's speaking of how he's going to manifest himself to the disciples. We'll read it, um, but we'll pick back up at, at verse 25. It says, and I will not leave you as orphans. Uh, I will come to you again. Or I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while while the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. So there's some interesting language going on here. There's there's debate on what is happening. I'll keep reading and I'll explain to you. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you and me and I and you. Whoever keeps my commandments and keeps them, it is he that loves me. And he who loves me uh, will be loved by my Father and I will love him and, and I will manifest myself to him. So we know that this little section is connected to the previous section in 15 through 17 about the Holy Spirit because in verse 21 it's repeating the same theme of verse 15. And then Judas, not Iscariot, we're in the upper room. Iscariot's already left to do uh, what it is that the, the devil has uh, filled him to do. And it looks at him and says, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? How is it that you've got all these people and you're going to manifest your presence in just a certain people, but not everybody? Answer, we've been talking about it the the whole time here. The Holy Spirit. That's how I'm going to manifest myself presence-wise in my own people, but not the whole world. Because I'm going to be in them. And here's how he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him. And here it is. Here it is. Don't miss this unbelievable phrase we will make our home with him every sweet kind of way that you can fill your mind with this big definition of home Norman Rockwell paintings if that does it for you I mean whatever the sweet sweet feeling of home and fire and Christmas and roasting marshmallows and candles lit and safety and security and just that nice kind of feel of home. It's, this is awesome. This is what we're talking about. This is the permanent dwelling that the Holy Spirit and God taking up. It's immediate. It's close. It's intimate. It's relationship. It's all those things when we say, I'm going to come and I'm going to make my home with you. This is permanent, immediate, close, intimate relationship. This is what's promised to you. That's how it's going to feel. That's what it's going to be like whenever I'm manifesting myself. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. So, the New Testament commentary speaking about this uh, presence, this real presence that it can be felt. It says the Spirit will convict of sin, lead to daily repentance, impart assurance of salvation, 
Bestow the peace of God that passes all understanding, admonish and comfort, and all of this is done in connection with the word as he takes up and makes a home in us that's immediate, permanent, close and intimate relationship. This is all that's promised to us in the Holy Spirit living in us. And then we go over to verse 25 where he's going to do some more teaching on the Holy Spirit. He says, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So in the immediate context, let's think about what he's saying. He's in the upper room with the 11 disciples. They will write the Bible in the next 25 to 30 years. And he's going to, in the next few hours, uh, have the false trial, go to the cross. And he's going to need for them to write Scripture, bring to remembrance everything that's about to happen, and literally be used by God to write the Scriptures in the canon so that we can read them. And as we read them, we have God speaking to us. And so in the immediate context... This promise of the Holy Spirit is for them, but it's also for us. But in the immediate context, the promise is to the disciples there. So let's read it again so you can hear it. I'm going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the one that comes alongside you and walks with you, whom the Father is going to send in my name. He will teach you all things. So everything that's about to happen, you're going to be wondering what the world is this. And he's going to teach you all those things. And then later on, as you start writing those things down as you're carried along by the Holy Spirit and you're writing graphe scripture, he's going to bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. you. If you ever wonder, like, how did Matthew remember the Sermon on the Mount? Like, I know, I know y'all can't remember what I say at lunch, right? Matthew wrote this down years later after Sermon on the Mount. And if you read it, it's a lot of words. It's a lot of words, chapters 5 through 7. And I mean, all the Gospels are filled with so many red letters, and you're like, how did they remember everything? I can't remember anything that I listen to and hear. Here it is right here. This promise in John chapter 14, verse 26. If people ever ask you, how is it that they knew everything Jesus said for so long? I mean, they wrote 20, 30 years after this happened, and they're all of a sudden able to remember all this? Yeah. How? Because God's got a good memory, and he was in them. Here it is. I will teach you all things, and I will bring to remembrance all that I've said. So they become excellent theologians that don't forget anything, and that's how they can write all these things. So the fourth thing here, the fourth thing here, the Holy Spirit was sent to teach us all things about Jesus and to remembrance all that he said. Now, I've only thus far made a case that it was for believers or for the disciples at the time. But I think it's also for us. There is a broad promise being made to us as well as we walk with the Spirit. As we walk with the Spirit. So there is a deeper work in us. One New, the New Testament commentary says that this particular promise in verse 26 is the Holy Spirit coming and teaching us all about Jesus said and bring to remembrance all that he said for the explicit work of witnessing. They said this is actually for the explicit work of witnessing. So why would he bring this into your mind? It's not just for personal theological growth. 
Jesus is not just being taught, you're not just able to remember all things about Jesus and remember all that he said just for personal theological growth and just for personal sin killing, but also for the express purpose that you would be leading people to Jesus. You would be doing evangelism. So this particular verse is, is implying, without question, a deeper walk with Jesus, a, a much deeper walk with Jesus. Piper states this, the Father will send the Holy Spirit. He will bring to your memory, memory what he wants the church to know, which is the way that they were able to write, is what he says. Um, they, they weren't just creating new events in their head, but they were remembering all that he has said, and he promised teaching. He will teach us all things, all the things needed to give a true interpretation of what Christ has said and done. So this is an important promise for the disciples as they wrote Scripture, and an important p- promise for us as we walk by the Spirit in our lives. John Owen, if the Holy Spirit does not work with the gospel, then the gospel becomes a dead letter and the New Testament becomes useless to Christians. So, as the Holy Spirit teaches us all things about Jesus and brings to remembrance all that he said, one thing that we know, and this ties it back into verse, or num- point number three, our ability to be taught by the Holy Spirit all things about Jesus and bring to remembrance all that he said is intimately tied into the fact that you would be in the Word. You will not have this happen at the level that I know that you want it to have happen if you're not in the Word. And that's why uh, Owen says the Holy Spirit does not work with the gospel if the Holy Spirit does not work with the gospel and the gospel becomes a dead letter and the New Testament becomes a useless to Christians. We have to be in the word continually. And then as that's happening, and again, I'll say, your desire to be in the word comes from the Holy Spirit. And as you're in the word continually, then he is teaching you all things. He's guiding you, as we promised in 1613, guiding you into all truth. And as he's guiding you all truth, he's teaching you all things, and then as you go and live your life, to want to live a life that glorifies Jesus through sin killing and witnessing, etc., you're going to remember these things that you've been reading. And then lastly, we see this in verse 27, the fifth reason. It says right here, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. (coughs) And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. So here, in verse 27, he's saying, peace I leave with you. So if he's going... And he's promising that he's going to send some, some, someone, namely the Holy Spirit. And in verse 27, he's saying, I'm leaving with you peace. My peace I'm giving to you, and I'm leaving. By the way, I'm leaving the Holy Spirit, and I'm leaving peace. So what does that tell us then? Another reason that the Holy Spirit was given to us is the Holy Spirit provides peace to us that only God can give. So what do we mean by peace? What is the peace that we're talking about? New Testament commentary why is it important for us to, to say that that's needed? The Holy Spirit was sent so that I can have peace. The presence of spiritual rest and assurance. This is what peace is. It's the presence in your life of spiritual rest and assurance of salvation 
and of God's loving presence under all circumstances which results from exercising faith in God and His Son and from the contemplation of His gracious promises. I, I want you to remember, as he got down here, he, in verse 29, he said, I'm telling you all this before I'm leaving so that after I leave, you'll believe, you'll faith, you'll trust me. So I'm giving you the Holy Spirit who's going to provide peace so that as I'm gone, he's going to provide this such great level of peace that you have spiritual rest and assurance so that you'll, after I'm gone, continually faith me, trust me, believe in me, continually. He wants us to have initial faith, saving faith, but after that he wants us to have continual faith, continually trusting in him. And so we need peace. So he promises us peace. Piper says, it's one of the most amazing and wonderful and sweetest things in the Bible to realize that just hours before Jesus was crucified, he was concerned for the peace and the joy and the faith of his disciples. Think of it. He is about to be tortured to death with one of the most horrific means of torture ever devised. And he knew this because he's God. And his burden for his disciples at the time was to solidify in the souls of his followers peace and joy and faith. So this is not small potatoes when we say Jesus wants us to have peace. This is amazing. So in this text we've seen five different reasons why Jesus was sent so that we could receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is absolutely, absolutely necessary in our lives. D.A. Carson says, Truly to grasp that the eternal God, our maker and judge, has out of inexpressible grace sent his son to die the odious death of an abominated criminal in order that we might be forgiven and reconciled to him. That is the, that this wise plan was affected by sinful leadership who thought they were controlling events and who operated out of selfish expediency while in fact God was bringing about his own good, redemptive purposes that our only hope of life in the presence of, his, of this holy and loving God lies in our casting ourselves without, mercy, without reserve on his mercy, receiving in faith the gift of forgiveness purchased at an estimable cost, an estimable, an estimable, I can't say that word, an estimable cost. None of this, he said, so after he's laid out this huge paragraph of a beautiful description of the gospel, dash, 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 last phrase, none of this is possible apart from the work of the Spirit. We're absolutely dependent upon the Spirit in order to be awakened to the beauty of the gospel in order to keep his commands, in order to love him, in order to seek him in the scriptures and know him, in order to live out a life of mission. And so we're told that we need the Holy Spirit. So here's how I want to conclude with you. <clears throat> in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 18, we're told, do not fill yourself with wine, for that leads to debauchery. But instead... Be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 Do not be filled with wine, for that leads to debauchery. But instead, be filled with the Spirit. So, 
whenever we are drunk with wine, we're filled with an outside source that changes our mind, changes the way we think, lowers our inhibitions, that particular thing that has filled us controls us and causes us to live debaucherous lives, sinful lives. And he says, the Holy Spirit's just like that. I want to compare the two, Paul says. Don't be filled with wine. This isn't a a verse against drinking. It's a verse against being drunk. But don't be filled with wine because that is an outside source that fills you, controls you, and causes you to live sinfully. But instead, in the same way, be filled with the Spirit, an outside source that comes in and fills you instead of lowering inhibitions, raises deep love for Jesus, raises your love to want to keep His commands, controls you like this does, that leads to debauchery, controls you and leads to righteousness. So don't be filled with wine, that leads to debauchery. Don't get drunk on wine, that leads to debauchery. But instead, be filled with God which doesn't lead to debauchery, but leads to righteousness. So we are to live lives that are continually seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me just give you three small examples from Acts. There's probably more, but this is just three. Three little phrases in the book of Acts of a disciple or follower of Jesus that was said to be filled with the Holy Spirit which is what I think we've all agreed that we wanted to have. Live lives that are filled with the Holy Spirit. And Acts chapter 6, Stephen was said to be filled with the Spirit. He was chosen to be one of the disciples. And as he was picked to be one of the disciples, it ends. Or The reason why he was picked is because he was full of the Holy Spirit. And he was chosen to be one of the first deacons, I should say. Um, which is a, a display of service. So if someone's filled with the Spirit, their life would be demonstrated that they're filled with the Spirit because they have a life of service. Same person in Acts chapter 7, as he's given his speech, said he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it says that he saw the glory of God. He looked up and Jesus was standing at the right hand of the Father. The only time it says in the Bible that Jesus is standing instead of sitting. And then we know that he was martyred. Filled with the Holy Spirit. He was martyred. So the first one, he was filled with the Spirit, demonstrating a life of service. The second one, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, demonstrating a life of suffering. One other place, there's more probably, but in Acts chapter 11, Barnabas was preaching Christ, exhorting Christians, and it says a great number of people were added to the Lord. He was full of the Spirit, it it says in Acts chapter 11 about Barnabas. And what happens? Many people get saved. So just there as a small little look at the book of Acts. When you're filled with the Spirit, you have a life, and they're alliterated, so they're easy to remember. A life of service, a life of suffering, and a life of salvation. So if you're asking yourselves, what would my life look like if I pursue being filled by the Holy Spirit? I see the reasons I'm supposed to have the Spirit in my life. Just a quick look at the New Testament in the book of Acts. You'll, You'll see your life wanting to live a life of service. You'll see your life, no doubt, experiencing more persecution and suffering. And I would pray that you would see more people getting saved around you. More people getting saved around you. 
as we're going into a time of reflection here, we've got time, you've got time, and I would just invite you to just to pray. Lord, fill me with the Spirit. Help me love you more by keeping your commandments. I can't keep them. Help me be in your word more. I know you'll guide me into truth. Lord, fill me with the Spirit so that I can experience this unbelievable peace. Let me feel you making home in me. Permanent, immediate, intimate relationship. You will live a different life that way. Let's pray. God, be with us now as we worship. I pray for all my friends here that they would truly worship you right now. That you would fill them with the Spirit, that they would beg to be. And that as they would go from here, they would see filling of the Spirit isn't just necessary in the service to understand the text, to understand a sermon. But instead, as they're filled by the Spirit, they walk out of this room filled with the Spirit to live a life that wants to serve others. Live a life that knows suffering might come, but lives a life that will see salvation happen. Lives a life that keeps your commandments. Lives a life that loves you with greater capacity. Lives a life that studies your word and understands it and lives it out. Lives a life that now experiences peace. Be with us now as we worship and we'll give you the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name.